I am so excited to start this series because I genuinely believe this. As you saw the video, obviously, um, it's about a comeback. It's the story, a modern-day version of the story or the parable of the prodigal son. And um, really what I want to do this morning is start this series off by telling you, no matter where you've come from this morning or what your background looks like. I know that there are a wide variety of people in here. Maybe you've grown up in church like a long time. Um, if you're anything like me, like I was born in church, and I, I, I pretty much was raised in church my entire life, and then there was a small season in my life when I just got really confused in uh, what God wanted for me and kind of who God was, and I kind of went through this rough patch and um, then God kind of turned it around for me by making me realize that, to be quite honest with you, I was pretty religious and I was just following all the rules for the sake of being a good person and I really didn't understand the gospel. Um, and then there's people in here this morning where, man, the bottom has just fallen out. <laughs> and you're like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what to do. And I'm here this morning because I need Jesus. And so ultimately this morning, that is what the comeback is about. No matter what spectrum you fall in, whether you've been in church your entire life or the bottom has just dropped out in front of you and you don't know where to turn, you don't know where to go. We're really trusting and believing Jesus that many people are going to experience and encounter a comeback in their life spiritually. And then maybe you've got a loved one, a father, a brother, a mother, a husband, a wife that doesn't know Jesus, that's far away from Jesus. We're praying and trusting Jesus that those people will also come to know Jesus. So you got a, a small white card this morning. It has a, a little graphic on it. It says the comeback. And what we're going to be doing right after service is hold on to that card. And I want you to be thinking of this as I'm preaching, as I'm teaching this message. Let this kind of be in the back of your mind. What are you believing God for 2016 for a comeback in? Maybe, like I said earlier, maybe it's just you're, you're tired spiritually. Maybe you've known Jesus for a long time and, and you just feel kind of cold in that. And so maybe you need to um, live out what Revelations talks about and return to that first love. Or, or maybe some of you, man, you've been in church, you've grown up in church, but you ne- the gospel never really seeped down into your life. And so you don't really know what it's like. Whatever it is, maybe you're believing for a mother, a father, a husband. And I want you just to write maybe three, four words. And maybe if you are an author or whatever and you can't help it and you write everything in paragraphs, write small print on that card and right after service what we're going to do is we're going to take this board and we're going to pin up these cards all across this thing and then throughout the next few weeks um, we're just going to be laying our hands on this, we're going to be praying for this, for everything that you guys have been trusting and believing Jesus for. So let's dive right into this this morning. If you got a Bible with me, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 15. Um, Luke chapter 15. And in Luke chapter 15, there's three parables that Jesus is going to tell. The first one is the parable of the lost sheep. Basically, there's this shepherd, and he has a hundred sheep, and one goes astray. And basically, Jesus, instead of just saying, hey, you know what, I've got 99, let me just count my losses, I lost one. What does he do? He leaves the 99. And he goes out and he looks for the one to bring them back to the flock. Because the shepherd loves his sheep so much that he wants all of them to be together. 
Then he tells another um, uh, parable of the lost coin. There's this woman who has these ten coins. And scholars actually believe that they used to wear like these bandana things. And they would have these coins uh, posted up in the bandana. So they believe that one of them fell out. And she's basically tearing her house apart looking for this coin. It would be the equivalent of you losing your car keys and destroying your house trying to find your car keys. So she is going all over the house trying to find this one coin. Why? I mean, she's got nine. Why look for one more? Why don't she just count her losses and say, you know what? I've got nine. I'm tired of searching. I'm tired of looking. And Jesus is trying to get across a principle here. Whatever is lost, I am willing to do whatever it takes to make it found again. And then he tells us another story. And this is a story that we're going to frame up this entire message around this morning. He tells the story of a lost son. Of lost son. And um, go ahead and turn with me, if you have a Bible, to Luke chapter 15. Um, you can pull out your fake Bible on your smartphone if you want to do that as well. Um, and then we have a big one right behind us on the screen. Nobody thought that was funny. I did. Um, Okay, so chapter 15, we're going to pick it up in verse 11. And this is the parable of the prodigal son. It says this. We're going to read the whole thing, so hang with me. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided the property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered, watch this, all he had, so he took everything he had, and he took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to the citizens of that country, who sent him into the field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed, so he was starving. He was hungry with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Verse 17, but when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your servants. And he arose and came to his father. And I love this line right here. And it says, But while he was still a long way off, His father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this was my son who was dead and is now alive again. He is lost and is found, and they begin to celebrate. Now this older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to them, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But what happens? 
But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look these many years I have served you and never disobeyed your command. Yet you've never gave me a young goat that I may celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came home, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fatted calf? And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for your brother who was dead is alive. He was lost, and he is found. Now, this is a very popular passage in Scripture. Now, I want to make one thing very clear about this story. Um, A lot of people think this story, the main character, the main focus in this story um, is the son. It's not. Um, The son, the word prodigal is actually only mentioned one time in the entire text. And just in the first 12 verses, the word father is mentioned 20 times. 20 times. So this story is about a father. The word prodigal actually means reckless or it means wasteful. So there is this son who has just taken the money. He has taken his share of the estate. He moved to a foreign country and he's like, you know what? I'm going to go and I'm going to have a good time. And he blows it all. And the thing that I love about this story is when he comes to his senses, when he comes back home, the father does not shame him. He accepts him. He welcomes him home. So this morning, I want you to keep this in mind. The story, this story is about the father. It's about the father. It's about a father who has a reckless love for us, who's never ending, never giving up, and he will at times rearrange the pieces of your life to draw you to himself. So I believe that there's actually six things that are required to allow a comeback to take place, okay? Six things throughout this parable, throughout this story that we're going to see. Number one, a desired hope. Number one, a desired hope. Let me, let me put it this way. When you got married, you had all these hopes and you had all these dreams, right? Like, man, I am finally with this girl or with this guy that I've been dreaming about since forever. If you're a guy, you dreamed, you dreamed about it for a whole two weeks. If you were a girl, you dreamed about it your entire life, right? It's a little bit different. Girls dream about the wedding day and getting all dressed up. Guys only dream about the honeymoon. I'm just saying, that's the truth. You have all these expectations. You have all these desired hopes. And you get married, and what happens? You have kids, you have all these desired expectations, all these hopes for them to one day grow up and, you know, love God, serve God, become a businessman. Whatever it is, you have these dreams, you have these desired hopes for your children. You know, I believe that the father in this story had a desired hope for this prodigal, right? That, that maybe one day that, hey, maybe he'll grow up and maybe he can take over the estate. Maybe he can run the business. Maybe one day he'll serve God and love God well and, and get married and have a wife and, and give me grandbabies and all that. He had this desired hope. I mean, in the Garden of Eden, right, God had this desired hope for Adam and Eve to walk with them for the rest of their life, all their days that God could physically walk by them hand in hand, side by side. When we were born, God had a desired hope for each and every one of us. He had a plan 
for our lives. But the truth is, comeback stories happen when we derail from God's original plan. So the father had this desired hope for the son, and even the son probably had this desired hope for his own life, but maybe there was a season in his life when he said, you know what, I think my plan in this moment is going to be better. I have some hopes, I have some expectations. I want to move away from the father's rules. I don't like all these things pressing down on me. I feel guilty and shameful when I'm around him. So I just want to get out of here, and life will be better. Here's the problem with moving away. You take yourself with you. (laughs) You never move away because you take your problems with you. The truth is, some of us, we need a comeback. I would say all of us, better way to say it would be all of us need a comeback. And the truth is that God loves you even when you reject him. God loves you even when you want nothing to do with him. Even when you think that your plan is much better than his. So number one, for a comeback to take place is a desired hope. Number two, a rebel's heart. A rebel's heart. Now the truth is, maybe some of you in here, you're like, I'm not a rebel. If you're like my wife, you followed all the rules. You made straight A's in school. I was the kid that was like, well, dad, like, this is the line. Well, how far can I go over the line? Can I just touch the line like this a little bit? Like, there's this rebel heart. But the truth is, In all of us, whether you're a rule follower or not, there is this rebellious heart inside of us. All of us have at times, one time or another, this desire to derail from God's plan, this desire to say, God, you know what? You're not working out right now. Things in my life aren't going well, so I'm going to take the reins from you. I need to work it out by myself. All of us bend towards independence, right? We don't like... Some, some of us don't like when God comes down and tries to rearrange the things of our life. We say, you know what, God, I can figure it out on my own. But this is a clear picture of what sin really does. Sinful living starts out great. It just has a bitter aftertaste. It always starts out great. It always promises much. Sin always promises much. I believe when the, the prodigal went out, do you think that maybe a few years later that his plan was to say, you know what, I want to be sleeping and eating with pigs. Yeah, that sounds like a great plan. <laughs> that was not his plan. He had this desired hope. He had this rebellious heart that came out. Every one of us need a comeback because every one of us have a rebellious heart. Jeremiah puts it this way. It's not on the screens, but I'm paraphrasing. But he, he says it this way. He says, nobody can understand the heart other than Jesus. Do you ever say something or do something or respond a certain way? And you're like, hold on, why did I do that? Why did I say that? You ever been in an argument with your wife and you say these words and you're just like trying to grab them back and you can't? And you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that came out of me. It's because all of us have this rebellious heart. So desired hope, a rebel's heart, and number three, the run. The run. This is where we think our plan is working. (laughs) We're on the run. We think our plan is working. Everything seems to be going smooth. You got a good job. You've got money. You're having fun. You've got friends. Everything is working out. Nothing in your life right now is collapsing. Everything's going smooth. 
I, maybe if we were to look at the story more in depth and there was a little bit more detail in the story, we don't know. I'm, I'm just making this up. But what if we don't know how long the prodigal was away? What if for the first year he's in this foreign land and this foreign city and everything's smooth? He's got more money than anybody could dream of. He's having more fun than anybody could dream of. His plan is working. It's going good. It's going well. He's on the run. The problem is sin will fool you into believing that you're on the right path when you're on the run. Sin will fool you into believing that this is the path that you need to stay down. And here's the deal. It does not necessarily have to be this reckless, wasteful lifestyle. It doesn't have to necessarily be this horrendous act of you like departing away from the faith or you leaving your mother and father. It can just be simple things in your life where you think that your plan is better than God's. And this is what happens. This leads us to point number four. So we go on the run, and then what happens? Number four, we hit the wall. We hit the wall. Watch this. The prodigal son hit the wall in Luke 15, verse 17. It says, But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? Man, my plan, my desired hope, the things that I thought was going to be so great about my own deal, me doing my own thing. Now I've hit this wall and I've run out and I've got nothing to show for it. The wall is ultimately at the end of the day. It's the end of the run. It's the place where you now become aware of what everyone else has been trying to tell you all along. It's what everybody around you has been trying to tell you, and now you finally realize it. And listen, church, I pray to God in this series that before we get to this place, that God will break down our pride. We don't have to hit that wall where we're just sitting there and you're like the prodigal son eating with pigs and you're going, what am I doing here? What is going on? The truth is maybe life is well right now. Maybe money is good. Maybe your bank account is doing well. Maybe the job is good. Maybe the marriage seems awesome and you have friends that are well. So maybe you don't need to come back because you're addicted to alcohol or narcotics or drugs or, or whatever. Maybe you just need to come back because you're empty inside. Like you feel hollow. Like maybe, maybe you had at one point you had a vibrant relationship with Jesus and now you find yourself today and you're like, what is this? What am I doing? Maybe you need to come back because maybe... Everybody, the person that you portray off to everybody else is not really the person that you are. Maybe you've got some secrets. Maybe you've got some things that you've never told anyone, and it's just killing you inside. You need to come back from those things. You see, a comeback is not necessarily for the prodigal, although it is. But it's also for just like you and me, for people that are empty, for people that are tired. For people that are just hungry for something more. You know what keeps us at the wall? Pride. Pride. Pride is what keeps us at the wall. Let me, let me illustrate it like this. How many of you guys know um, 
or you're thankful for this little yellow gaslight that comes on in your car, and maybe it dings. Um, I am the guy, we have in our, in our new van, we have this uh, meter, and a little yellow light comes on when it's low, and then it tells you actually how many miles you have left. So it counts down, like five, four, and at three, it's like, moron, you better get to the gas station. And I am, I'm the guy that's, um, it's at zero, and my wife's in the car, and she's like, oh my God, what are we going to do? I'm like, baby, we got 30 more miles. Trust me. We have 30 more miles. These things are always wrong, okay? These things are always wrong. And it drives her insane. Like, she, my wife is the, she's the kind, like, at 100 miles, she's like, er, pulling into the gas station. We've got 100 miles left. You never know what could happen. A zombie apocalypse. We need to have gas. Whatever it is. And I push the limits. Why? Because it's, a lot of times it's just pride of like, no, baby, trust me, we're fine. I got this. Okay? I'm not, you're about to be stuck on the side of the road is what you're about to be. And, and here's the problem with most Christians today, and not just Christians, everyone. When you hit the wall, the reason that you never get past it is because of pride. And it's a lot like that gaslight. See, if you could just... If you don't fill up quickly, you're going to be stranded on the side of the road, right? You're going to be stuck there. And you could use one or two scenarios. You can be the guy that can humble yourself, get out of the car, and ask somebody for help. Or you're going to be like, nobody's going to help me. I'm going to figure this out on my own. I'm going to mix up some water or something. We're going to get home. (laughs) Pour it in my gas tank. We're going to do something. And what happens? Pride keeps you in that car. The only way, here's, here's the deal, the only way that you receive a genuine comeback is by allowing Christ to break down that pride in your life. It's a reminder that some of us are on empty right now. Some of us are on empty, and if we don't fill up right now, we're going to be stuck. You're getting really close to hitting the wall Have you ever realized once you finally acknowledge that you've hit the wall or once you finally acknowledge that you have an issue or a problem, everyone else around you already knows? Let let me put it this way. Have you ever gone to your parents and you're like, Dad, man, you know that girl like Susan I've been dating? He's like, yeah. She's crazy. (laughs) Like she's insane. I don't think we should be together anymore. If your name's Susan in here, I'm so sorry. Um, He's like, I don't think we, and, he, and he's usually like, oh my God, thank Jesus, finally, that he's breaking up with this person, right? They usually know it, and you finally kind of come to your senses. Or have you ever gone to maybe your wife in here, and you said, babe, I don't think I should be hanging around these people. They're just not really good influence. And she turns around, she's like, oh my God, thank you, finally. When you hit that wall, you finally begin to realize what everybody's been trying to tell you for a long time. For a long time. And a comeback can only begin when you admit that you're on empty in some area of your life. When you admit with your own lips, hey, this is an issue. I've hit the wall. I've been on the run. I had all these desired hopes, and it's just not working out. Contrary to what you may believe about Jesus or the gospel, regardless Jesus loves you at your darkest. He pursues you at your darkest. That's why I love the line in in the text when it says, when he was a long way 
off. The father saw him and had compassion on him. Man, when he was so far, when he was in the, just the worst part of his life, the father has compassion on him. Think of this story like you're watching a split-screen TV. On one hand, you've got the son, right? Doing his thing, living his life, doing what he wants to do. And then on the other side, you, you have the father. Continuously praying, trusting, believing, and hoping that his son will one day return. And when he does, he does not offer shame. He does not offer guilt. What does he do? He offers compassion. He loves him. He pulls him back in. I want you to notice something also about this story is, yes, the son came to his senses, but he came to his senses because he remembered his father. He remembered his father. The father is what pulled the son back. And some of you today just need to remember how good Jesus has been to you. See, this is the hardest part about the gospel sometimes, is actually believing that it's true. (laughs) That it's so simple that sometimes all you have to do is remember that Jesus saved you and he took a filthy, rotten sinner like me and you and he had compassion on us. And he loved us and he pulled us back in. And some of us today just need to remember that and reflect on that. Luke 15, 18 through 20 says this, This is the son when he finally kind of realizes he's come to his senses and this is the father pulling him back in. He says, I will rise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and felt compassion on him. I said it earlier, but the Father will intentionally arrange the circumstances of your life at times to draw you back to himself. Sometimes you find yourself in predicaments where you do not know what to do and you don't know how you got there. You don't know how you're going to get out of it. And sometimes it's the most gracious thing that God could give you. I was having a conversation with my dad the other day and uh, I think he actually shared it um, last week. But he said, one of the things that I'm the most thankful for is just my whole journey with cancer. When you hear somebody say that, you're like, are you serious? Are you crazy? Like, what what is wrong with you? But then you begin to reflect on everything that God has done in this past um, five, six years just in his life. It's remarkable. It's crazy what God's done. And so some of you are in circumstances of life right now only because God's trying to pull you back. He's trying to get you to remember. He's trying to get you to come back. Maybe you feel unworthy. Maybe you feel like, you know what? Every time I come into church, like I just feel guilty. I feel like everything that I've done, I have so much past. I have this history You don't feel like you can sit in here and really just receive the grace of God. And it's why I love this story so much because you see all these crazy, horrendous things that the son has done and the father just receives him back. So after you hit the wall, then there's the plan. The plan. 
When we hit the wall, there's often a plan. Meaning this. Um, I think this is where the story shifts a little bit, and we put it on the focus of the older son. Okay? So a lot of us, when we come to our senses and we realize, okay, I need to come back to Jesus, um, we start to plan it out. <laughs> All right, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to clean myself up. This is what I need to do. This is what I need to say. This is how I need to act. This is what I need to watch. This is all these things. And we start to make this plan without failing to realize we made a plan before and it didn't really get us that far. So, so here's what I'm saying. When we hit the wall, we try to figure out ways that we can fix ourselves. And the truth is, we can't. We cannot fix ourselves. We got ourselves into the predicament in the first place. So we need a Savior. We need Jesus. Don't buy the lie that you can make a comeback on your own. You know what? I'll just fight this. I'm gonna just, it may take me longer, but I'm just going to come back. I'm going to fight through this by myself. These are issues that just me and God need to work on and deal with. No. The way that you have a genuine comeback is by exposing the lies, embarrassing some sin in your life, and it may suck for a season, but it's so worth it in the end. When you hit the wall, don't make a plan. Just turn to Jesus. And say, God, you know what? Whatever you want me to do is what I will do. Whatever you tell me to do is what I will do. Whatever I need to repent of is what I will repent of. Whatever I need to do. And number six, this is my favorite part. Outrageous grace. Receive it. Receive it. So the father, I don't know if you noticed this, but when the son returns... He gives him three things. So what does he do? He gives him a robe. Now, this is symbolic because this belonged to the Father. This robe means simply this. You're being clothed in my garments. You are welcome back into my house. Whatever is mine is now yours. Even though you've gone out and you've done all this reckless living, whatever I have is now yours. And then what does he do? He gives him a ring. The ring is simply a symbol of authority, meaning, hey, you know what? That whole thing about you wanting to be a servant, no, 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 you're going to rule with me. (laughs) You're going to preside over the estate again because you're my son. And number three, he gives him sandals. This is a sign of wealth. Servants did not wear sandals in the house. Only sons did. Only sons wore sandals. So I love this. So the son, if you caught it in the text, he's requested the status of a servant. He said, just let me be a servant again. And what does he do? He's been denied by the father and he's been restored as a son. This is exactly what Jesus does. So some of us, we feel like our sin, man, we've gone to this one place and you're like, God, if you just accept me back one more time. And the father says, no, as as soon as I accept you back, no, you're not a servant. You're my son. And everything that I have is yours. I think our our natural reaction when we know that we've sinned against God is to try to work it off, right? How many of you ever found yourself in your bedroom at night or maybe a place where you pray and like you're repeating it a hundred times, like, God, please forgive me, God, please forgive me for something that maybe you've done and you're still just rotten with guilt inside. God, please forgive me, God. And you keep going on and on and on and on and on and on. 
got to remember that we've been restored. We've been restored. So where's the shame? Where's the guilt that the father should be pressing down upon the son? It's gone. Here's the question. Who pays for the son's reckless living? Did the son pay for it? No, the, the father does. This is, this is a beautiful metaphor of what Jesus does for us on the cross. The father absorbs the son's reckless living. Hey, all of you going out to this foreign land and blowing all your money, guess what? I just paid for that. I just paid for it. I absorb that, and I want to restore you back as a son. Instead of shame, instead of beating and humiliation, there are robes, there are honors, there are parties, there is grace. There is no sin that is too shameful and too wicked for the Father to restore you and for a comeback to start in your life right now. None. Whatsoever. If the cross and the resurrection are true, which they are, then this simply means your history does not have to determine your identity anymore. See, some of us are so defined by our past mistakes and what we've done. I love the story of the prodigal son because once he returns, his, the father is saying, hey, listen, your identity is not in your failure anymore. Your identity is solely in the fact that you are my son. That is your identity. That's your identity now that you are my son. Your future is not defined by your past mistakes, but by the promises of God. So let's switch gears a little bit, going back to focusing a little bit on the older son who kind of sticks around and stays and he gets bitter and he gets angry and he gets frustrated and he gets mad. I would say this to you, if you, more, if you identify yourself with this person, maybe you've grown up in church, you've lived a good life, you've done good things. Maybe you weren't a prodigal, maybe you didn't go off and you went away, but maybe you still find yourself at a wall in your life. And the truth is, God loves you even when you're too proud to receive his grace. Even when you're too proud to receive his grace. Even when you're saying, ah, I've got 30 miles left. <laughs> I can travel a little bit more. I can hang on a little bit more. See, this brother on the surface, he looks like the opposite of the younger son, right? He's good, he's upright. He served his father. He stayed with his father. But Jesus has a very specific person in mind when he's telling this portion of the story. The religious person. The religious person who's lived a good life and thinks that God owes them something. Man, I've done all the right things. I've said all the right things. The truth is, the brother has never experienced God's grace and does not know God. Why? He's not even excited when the son returns home. Man, he was dead. It's the only um, parable out of the three parables, out of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the prodigal son. It's the only phrase at the very end of the text where it says, he was dead and now he's alive. The other ones say they were lost and now they were found. In this one, it says he was dead, and now he's alive again. 
So this brother is not like the father at all. He actually hates his brother, right? He may be near the house of the father, but he does not have the heart of the father. Have you ever noticed this, that sometimes religious people can be the most hateful, unloving people on the earth? And, and here, let me tell you why. I've never, I've never understood this. And I'm just telling you, if I was lost and did not know Jesus, I would never show up in church. And I know that's, that sounds crazy coming from me. I just never would show up in church. Let me tell you why. Because if I came into church, I would constantly be subjecting myself to just guilt and shame. <laughs> like, why would I want to go to that place if I, if I was not ready to accept Jesus? And, and here's what religious people are. They know the good news. They know what they should do. They, it just does not seep down in their heart. It does not transform the way they think. On the surface, they know it's good. But when it comes down to the point of actually making change and saying, you know what, yeah, man, there's some wicked things in my heart that I really need to deal with. They don't deal with them. They don't touch them. Because you know what, on the surface, everything looks good. Everything looks well. The truth is, if Jesus has radically transformed you, you do not care. Whatever you have to do, whatever you have to embarrass, you'll do it. I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but you'll do it. Whatever you need to expose, whatever you need to lay before Jesus, you'll be willing to do it. Religion ultimately cleans you up on the outside but it leaves you rotten on the inside. The gospel cleans you up on the inside, and then it becomes a reflection of the outside. So Jesus always starts with the heart. Hey, let's start with those thoughts. Yeah, those thoughts. Yeah, let's start with those. Listen, I've I've said this so many times, especially in the South, we get good at this. We genuinely believe sometimes that a relationship with Jesus is coming to church on a Sunday morning. Okay, I came to church on a Sunday, check, like Jesus, um, God, I've been like a hundred times now, that should count for something, right? (laughs) Check it off the list. Listen, being a Christian is not just going to church. It's not just doing good things. Because the truth is, as a Christian, there's going to be times in your life where you just miserably flat out fail, and you blow it. And if your life is centered around always having to be excellent and perfect, man, that's going to be miserable. The greatest news about the gospel is, is this, is Jesus saying, hey, you know what? There's absolutely no way that you can do it on your own, and you need me. And when you fail, it's going to be okay, because I'm going to come back, and I'm going to see you a long way off. I'm going to pull you back in. It's what I love about Jesus. See, everyone has a common comeback in here, especially if you've come to know Jesus, that there was a point in your life when you were completely hopeless, where you did not know Jesus. And God chose you to save you, to love you, to pour his grace out upon you. So here's what I want to do this morning. 
One, I, I want you to think of some things in your life right now. Are there areas in my life, which I think that, sh- that should be everybody in here. Are there areas in my life where, man, I need a comeback? Maybe it's just, maybe it's just spiritually. Uh, I'll be honest with you. The first card posted on here is mine. You know, you know what it says? A comeback to a greater intimacy with Jesus. Shocking from your pastor, right? <laughs> and, and, and here's the truth. The reason that I wrote this is because there are sometimes there's times in my life where I can see um, I grade myself on how well my spiritual walk with Jesus is doing. So my attitude is reflective if I am just on this spiritual high and on this mountaintop, then I'm great. But sometimes if I go through these valleys of like, man, I'm not really hearing God as clear as I used to or, or whatever it is, I feel like I'm just not doing as good. And the truth is, this year, I, I want to know Jesus like I've never known him before and ultimately so that I can root my identity in Jesus. Man, it's not how well I can perform, how well I can preach, how fast this church grows, Whatever. I don't want to root my identity in those things. And I know the only way that my identity is going to be secure is if I know Jesus like I've never known him before. And so that's mine. That's what I'm trusting God for this year. One of the ways that I'm going to be doing it is uh, starting on Monday, I'm doing, we're, we're going to, I'm going to show you guys a video in a second. But one of the things I'm going to be doing starting on Monday, I'm just going on a social media fast. It's one of the most beneficial things for me, for my own soul. To just kind of go dark for a little bit. <laughs> like, just n- not get online, not worry about all that kind of stuff. And so I want you just to take a moment, just a second. What are some areas in your own life where you're saying, man, I need to come back? Maybe, maybe there are genuine people, man, the bottom has fallen out for you. Maybe... Last year, you weren't addicted to something, and you told yourself, hey, it was just going to be a little bit every now and then, and now you find yourself, it's like every single day, and you're just like radically addicted to something. Maybe, maybe for some of you, maybe you just lost a loved one, and you're dealing with grief and pain. You're saying, God, help me come back to true joy that's found in my salvation. Like, I want to feel that joy again. Maybe for some of you, you're just empty inside. And God, I need something. God, I need to experience you. I need to encounter you. Be the Lord of my life. Some of you are lost. You don't know Jesus. And so this is a time for you to say, you know what? My comeback is to know Jesus. (laughs) And listen, you can write five or six things on that card. I know for some of you, maybe you're believing for a loved one, a mother, a father, a family member, a brother, a sister. Write their name on there. Don't write their last name because if they come here, that would be really bad. Write something on there. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you a moment real quick. I'm going to show you guys in, just in a second what we're, gonna be do, what we're doing this year to help you and to help this kind of whole comeback thing kick off is that uh, we've created a bunch of resources on our website. And what we're encouraging everyone to do is at least take seven to 21 days just to fast something. So fasting simply means I'm, I have whatever it is, I'm going to do without it for a little while for the sole intention of getting closer to Jesus. Okay, if you've never fasted before, um, 
don't be like, I'm gonna, I've never fasted food before, but I'm going to do 21 days water. That's dumb. Don't do that, okay? Um, but whatever it is, and we have, once you, once you see the website, there's, we have all kinds of ideas for you. There's social media fast. There's a food fast. There's, there's all kinds of things. We've listed them all. And then also one thing that we're going to be doing this year together, if you would like to do it, you can download it on our website. And I'm about to show you guys a video, and it'll briefly run through some of that material. But um, we have a 52-week Bible reading plan, okay? And so literally um, every week, you'll read through different books of the Bible, and about every day, it's going to be the equivalent of about reading three chapters of the Bible, okay? And if you do this for 52 days, in one year, you'll read the entire Bible. So really what we want to encourage people to do this year is to really just go through it. There's many of us in here that have just never read through the entire Bible. We've never read through the whole Bible. So we want to help you. We want to put some resources in your hand. So let me quick, you guys, you can uh, show that video real quick that highlights the website. 